Welcome to New Chip Accelerate, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the New Chip Accelerator. From investing to building a company culture, this podcast strives to shine a light on the many unknowns that all entrepreneurs face on a daily basis. Through talks with key personalities, Accelerate will teach you how to approach your investors, companies, customers, roles, and challenges with a fresh perspective. In today's episode, Laura Casey, an investor relations associate at New Chip, hosts Joanne Howarth, the founder and CEO of Planet Protector Packaging, Norm Magesh, the co-founder and CEO of Archimigo, and Nairi McKenzie, the founder and CEO of BidHive, in a discussion around the Australian entrepreneurship ecosystem. The three women are founders and leaders of companies in the New Chip Accelerator, and they are all based in Australia. Let's get right into it. Here's Laura. Hey guys, I have with me Noor, Nairi, and Joanne. Um, I, if y'all want to introduce yourselves, that'd be great, and your company. Um, Noor, why don't we start with you? Thanks, uh, Laura. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm Noor Mikesh, CEO and co-founder of Archimigo. It's a cybersecurity startup, so we uh, extend the security uh, capability to all businesses so they all can design um, security controls when they uh, design their applications and maintain them securely. And it's a B2B SaaS company. So we've been um, in the business since February, 2019. Nice. All right, Nairi. Hello, Nairi McKenzie, CEO and co-founder of BidHive. So uh, BidHive is a platform that's bringing transparency to the contract bidding process, uh, which is one of the least digitized and most corrupt industries in the world. So uh, with lots of contracts now being awarded around COVID, um, you know, we want to open up the competition and make it uh, far more accountable. Okay. And Joanne? Yes, so um, I'm Joanne Howitt. I'm the CEO and founder of Planet Protector Packaging. Um, We manufacture sustainable thermal packaging made out of sheep's wool. Our product is an alternative to polystyrene and we're on a mission to eliminate polystyrene and to become the market leader in sustainable thermal packaging that doesn't harm the planet. So we've been in business since 2016 and um, yeah, we're just beginning our rapid growth phase. Awesome. So as we can tell, there's quite a few industries coming out of Australia. Um, that's that's awesome. So I've got a few questions for you guys. Um, a lot of these questions apply to all of our global companies, um, but it, I just think it'd be very interesting to get Australia's perspective. So um, with Australian venture capital growing so rapidly, it's up to about $1.4 billion as of 2018, um, which is up from 600 million in 2016. Um, what impacts has that had on the community as a whole, the startup community, and specifically on your company and industry? Whoever wants to start can go ahead. <laughs> I'll start. Okay, you, you start, No, Yeah. Uh, thank you, Joanne. So, um, yeah, definitely we, uh, we see a lot of growth in, um, and also there is a lot of different players coming into the market in the venture capital in Australia. Um, especially in uh, my area where cybersecurity, there is a lot more startups coming in. Um, there was only one accelerator that we could participate in previously, but now there are more options available. So that means uh, they all, um, I guess, encourage new founders and especially tech founders to be, um, you know, upfront and um, they're happy to support even pre-revenue nowadays. Um, in uh, talking about COVID in the last um, year, um, the venture capital has uh, slowed a little bit in the start of the year, 
But um, as we can move towards the end of the year, it started picking up really, really fast. So we rarely see any um, impact to the uh, startups, at least in my um, area in cybersecurity. Awesome. Joanne, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say the increased investments and the capital that's available in Australia has really accelerated the development of novel and really innovative ideas that I see are tackling some of the world's biggest problems. So I'm obviously working in that space and looking at the preservation of the planet and the oceans. And there's a lot of investors, an increasing number of investors, I believe, that are looking to invest in companies with a social purpose. Like we exist. Um, Social impact is at the core of what we do. And um, there's a lot of investors really interested in entering into that space as a way of achieving their own sustainability goals. Um, Yeah, I think in particular we've seen, you know, a focus on areas like a focus on um, that social impact space, that's well, that's the space that I particularly know. Um, but there's a lot of young entrepreneurs in the space and, you know, people are doing really good things. And, it, you know, I think that this is a time that people recognise, particularly with COVID as the trigger, um, that you can put purpose, profit and, uh, you know, everything all together and have a very viable business. That's great. And Nairi? Yeah, I, I think we've made um, a really remarkable leap. Just in the last 10 years, the startup sector's gone from being pretty inconspicuous uh, to being one of the fastest growing in the world. And we have about 40 companies an hour starting up here uh, in Australia. So, yeah, we're rocking. And um, so, But to put, the, put into perspective, in 2013, there were only uh, four active accelerators, but we've now got over 300 startup hubs and entrepreneur research programs and uh, around... 500 industry and tech uh, communities. So, and of course, out of that, we're now starting to get our success stories um, to match them. Um, And I also think a lot of this has got to do with um, the government waking up to the need that uh, they need to facilitate and support innovation in Australia. Because uh, for me personally, until I um, knew of the startup ecosystem or that it was an enabler, I didn't know how to pivot from being a consultant to being a, a tech founder. Um, and, you know, I actually made the leap after completing a, a week-long entrepreneurship um, program. Then I quit my business, joined mm-hmm. an accelerator, found my product team. And, and it sounds so textbook, um, and I suppose it is, but, um, you know, our, our ecosystem's really trying to give people a structured pathway uh, to, to building and commercialising their startups. And I think that's fantastic. And I think it's probably quite unique. Yeah, I will just say anecdotally, um, I have been in the startup space since 2014. I was the first employee at a fintech and we ended up selling to Jeffrey's Bank. And then I wanted to come on the venture side and really help out because I just loved the space. And um, in the past, how many years is that? Six years now. Um, I, the, the Australian founders that I've met has increased like like noticeably. Like I used to go places and never see an Australian. And I used then like two years ago, I worked with one out of Dallas. So it's it's noticeable. And I think that um, that was a really great investment on the part of the government, um, especially um, I wonder, Joanne, if you have had any government incentive programs for your sustainability um, project or anything that's been helpful yes, for you. A, yes, Laura, yes. there's a multitude of government initiatives and grants. 
Um, I've been very lucky and fortunate to receive two grants, one of which was to um, enable me to do the work, to, to get investment ready, and the second is to establish an operation in Tasmania. Uh, because Tasmania is like the food headquarters in Australia. It has all the beautiful berries and cherries and, you know, seafood and such a lot of product that's exported under the brand Tasmania name. And for me to supply into Tasmania is cost prohibitive. So I found that uh, a lot working in this space is that there's a lot more available for female founders. Um, Yeah, so I recently received a female founders grant to help accelerate our growth. And, um, yeah, it's like the other girls say, definitely Australia is on the move. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. So, uh, for example, um, there are, I mean, the mentors and um, the VCs, they are very, very friendly in Australia. So they literally want to see you succeed. So that's one of the things that boosts up the ecosystem mainly because all the players have significant amount of contribution. They actually do that to improve the industry and the ecosystem. And um, we also have like federal level, state level, and even council level funding. And um, during COVID, there's numerous grants available. So um, I, I think what Joanne said is there are um, grants available for female founders. There are VCs available just to fund female founders. Um, and uh, government actually um, encouraged that to, you know, even helping the VCs to fund female founders. So there is a lot more help available now compared to five years ago. That's great. Yeah. And Nairi, have you seen any in, um, programs? Oh, like- yeah, ab- absolutely, uh, at every level. So I've, I've personally received um, three uh, rounds of state government funding, a local um, government grant, and uh, the federal government um, R&D tax incentive and export incentive. So um, they're they're fantastic. And I think one of the real incentives uh, which would be of interest to investors um, is the Australian government R&D tax uh, incentive. So that that gives you around 40% of your R&D activity back as a refund or as a tax offset. Um, And we also have the export marketing development grant, which reimburses 50% of promotional expenses, including, you know, if you have an international rep, um, you can get up to 150,000. So that is very attractive for, you know, investors um, or even companies basing themselves here in Australia, because it certainly extends the runway. That's great. That's amazing that they do all of that. It's very interesting, if I can just say, um, Based on the Canadian and UK model, the government is just, the federal government is just about to launch the Australian Business Growth Fund, which is a really interesting initiative um, for grants between $5 million and $20 million to support um, growing businesses. And, um, yeah, like it's an incredible system where the government actually advances you the money so that you don't need to sell out too early. Um, down the track, once you're in a stronger position, the government will take the money back and um, you still retain 100% equity in your company. Awesome. So it's going to, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting, um, you know, watching how that works. Yeah, so it's a great time to start a company in Australia, it sounds like. Um, that's interesting because I did read that most uh, investment in Australia is seed in Series A um, or later even. So I think that's great to not, you know, hurt the little guys 
Um, cause once you make it past like pre-seed and seed, it's a, it gets easier. Um, that's what I've um, okay. So that's kind of all the stuff that's like, you know, helped you guys get where you are and, and all the great investments. So I'd love to hear about your challenges. Um, just what you faced in the past year or challenges specific to your industry, um, challenges with fundraising internationally, whatever you've faced and kind of how you've overcome it. Yeah. I think many, many startups in Australia or entrepreneurs are really challenged when they get to that valley of death, you know, that, that leap between the pre-seed or the accelerator and, um, and the seed raise. And in Australia, we don't have a lot of pre-revenue investment available to us other than those time-limited accelerator programs. And, and so they'll, they'll provide capital for a working capital of about, you know, 20 to, you know, $70,000. It doesn't get you a, it doesn't get you very far. Um, it certainly doesn't get you to commercialization. So I think the government's really recognised that gap um, to help us with that, that challenge to get us to the next milestone. Um, and I also think in Australia, we, we're, we're not at that age uh, in the startup ecosystem where we have had uh, former founders now coming into the VC um, circle, but I think we're starting to see some now, you know, we've got um, Scott Farquhar from Atlassian actively investing through Skip Ventures. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, you've hit the nail on the head. It's really that gap between um, pre-seed and seed. Mm-hmm. So the other um, government organization that helps uh, startups to go outside Australia and promote the business is Austrade. Um, so they help you. There is a landing pad in uh, San Francisco, Singapore, and Tel Aviv. And I think there are six other um, cities in the world. So where you wanted to go. So they specialize in different um, areas like clean tech, cyber, and all of it. Um, so they help you with, you know, workshops can connect you with um, other uh, you know, peers in, in that uh, market. And also um, there are grants available, like um, Nairi mentioned before. So you can uh, kickstart your, you know, journey to other markets using those help available. Um, the challenge is definitely, um, you know, raising funds before um, your, you know, before you have revenue. So it's kind of catch-22. So me being in enterprise SaaS market, the enterprise will be asking, do you have funding behind you? Who's behind, you know, who's supporting your startup? Um, but when we go fundraising, they'll be asking, who's your first customer? Yep. So it's kind of catch-22. So uh, for me, the getting the first customer, it's a very, very slow process. Um, I'm lucky enough to self-fund myself um, up until that stage. So I don't have to let go of a lot of equity and I can survive on that, um, you know, grants and um, funds available, but it's not the case for everyone. Um, but like um, there are a lot more accelerator programs when you're in the very early stage. So as long as you have a really good product and it's not in a crowded market, some uh, venture capital is there ready to fund. Mm-hmm. My personal big, biggest challenge is not certainly funding is an issue and, and a big issue, but for me, one of the biggest challenges has been around the manufacturing of our product. So Australians have always had a great affinity with the wool industry. Like Australia got wealthy off the back of the wool on the sheep's back. And in the 70s and 80s, a lot of the wool scouring and processing went offshore to China. So when I established the business, my vision was 
to manufacture our product out of Australian wool and to manufacture here locally. But because of the constraints and the lack of manufacturing within the country, the only way I could get the business supply chain set up was through establishing partnerships with mills in China. And I've moved away from that. And just recently, uh, we've established a relationship with some people in New Zealand. But part of the big agenda for us this year is to capitalise on the manufacturing grants that are available and to bring it back home on Australian turf. I think it creates jobs. It's good for rural communities. It's Mm. good for so many. And the government is now realising that. So I'm spearheading a campaign to bring wool processing back on board. And, um, you know, so that's an exciting thing for us because it'll be a game changer. It will enable us to vertically integrate and own our supply chain. And as well as that, it'll enable us to control our margins and our quality assurance and, you know, just this, the the image of a product that's Australian made. Um, I think that's going to be very strong and it's going to be a game changer for us. Um, I would love to see your product because I haven't seen it yet, but if it's it's made out of wool and it's a it's a package? Yeah, so it's a wool liners. So as opposed to using a polystyrene box, mm-hmm. it's a cardboard carton which in itself is recyclable, and then it's two interlocking liners. So one goes across the bottom of the box, up the top, and over the the top. The other one goes around the side. So all the internal walls of the box are insulated, and wool by its very nature, like our technology borrows from nature. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is leveraging the thermal properties of wool Um, Just as it keeps the sheep warm in winter, so too it keeps them cool in summer. And um, yeah, it's it's nature's smart fiber. So and wool is obviously biodegradable. So as Mm. opposed to polystyrene, which hangs around the planet for five hundred years and doesn't break down, wool, our wool, will go into the ground and totally break down within six. That's awesome. Well, I have some more questions about challenges. I don't know how uh, much y'all want to talk about challenges, but I have a question just as an American, I don't really understand um, kind of the challenges faced by people in Perth as opposed to Sydney. Um, I was wondering if that's becoming um, easier or easier for people as everyone moves to Zoom and, you know, we just kind of accept that we're just going to be inside for a while. Um, Has it become easier to find investment that way? Um, or do you still need to be present in, in the big tech centers? Um, I think it's still the visibility is a major factor. So Sydney, Melbourne, East Coast, and then West Coast. It's, it's yeah. like that. Um, um, the visibility, the more visible you are, um, the number of people that you speak to. But again, it comes back to the basics. You know, you have a good business, you have customers, you have revenue, and you're growing. That's all they care. So um, visibility is still an issue, but um, COVID has br- uh, broken the barriers. Um, but I still see a little bit of, because I'm in Melbourne and I can, <laughs> I see a lot of <laughs> Sydney um, investors say, they, you know, you can um, meet for coffee every every now and then. And uh, we spend the majority of the time in lockdown compared to Sydney. So I'm a little jealous, I should say. <laughs> yeah. We have, uh, I mean, everyone here, knows about San Francisco and Silicon Valley. 
And right now there's kind of like a mass exodus from those places. So um, I think being in, for us at least being in San Francisco still kind of important, but not nearly as much or as important as it was 10 years ago. Um, so I, where are you not located, Nairi and Joanne? I'm, I'm located in Brisbane, which is um, only 12 hours flight from San Francisco. Um, but yeah, everything's, everything's Zoom now. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm in Sydney and Sydney is the hub of where, where I guess everything's happening. Yeah. And um, over even over the last couple of weeks, um, a lot of um, venture capitalists and people that are wanting to talk prefer to meet up personally than rather than via Zoom. So that's been my personal experience. I've got a meeting this afternoon that's in the city. Uh, there's still the people that connect via Zoom, but I think those initial meetings, the energy, the passion, you know, you get so much more out of a conversation that's face-to-face than via Zoom, unfortunately. Yeah. So this but, kind of brings me to my next question um, about COVID. So, because I'm, you're saying that you're going to have an in-person meeting and I'm so jealous because I'm like, they're allowed outside. Like, that's amazing. Um, so um, I kind of want to hear about y'all's experience with uh, your company through COVID and then um, kind of how, um, you know, looking for, for fundraising outside of Australia has been impacted by COVID, especially in a country like the U.S. where we can't go outside right now. Um, not doing great with it. So um, like you wouldn't be able to come over here for a meeting. So kind of what's been your experience with COVID so far? The sun is coming. I think uh, the first, uh, I was in a uh, accelerator when the COVID started, like uh, in February, I started uh, with SciRise, one of the cybersecurity accelerator in Melbourne. Okay. So we did uh, the one month uh, program and then we were in Sydney just before the lockdown started. So okay. we had to cancel a lot of plans. Um, we had to go virtual. We were the first cohort to go virtual um, accelerator. We had a um, we actually had um, planned to come to US for two weeks, spend you know West Coast, East Coast a week, but that got cancelled um, indefinitely. So um, we kind of come to the reality that we're going to be in in inside for majority of the year. So we decided to do everything um, virtual. So it gives us a lot more uh, time and energy to concentrate on other markets because now we are not. Um, you know, restricted to Australia because everyone is connecting on Zoom, which was good for my industry because cybersecurity have, was booming during later part of the COVID because everyone was working from home, a lot more ransomware and other things that's happening. So that the need has increased. So it's a, it's a good thing for me. Uh, the only thing is I, I had a, a remote team. Um, they missed being working with each other in, in the same place. Um, some of them were struggling with, um, you know, working alone for a long period of time. So I had to give them, you know, time off to see, you know, do nothing, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so those sort of um, actual challenges dealing with um, dealing with the crisis, that was there. Um, now we are, um, Melbourne was not so lucky because we had the big second wave. So we were in lockdown until November um, but we we all have did what we had to do. So the sooner we um, get out of lockdown, and then we can you know start moving on with our life. So uh, we spend most of our winter inside, and um, I think Sydney is uh, they've been lucky. So which is why <laughs> Joanne is happy to go and meet people. 
Um, I have to say it's the first time I've ventured out for a long time. So <laughs> we're still very cautious in Sydney and I, everywhere you go, people are still wearing masks and, and everything. We don't want to be the next Melbourne. Yeah. Yes. I heard, though, about that lockdown. I mean, it seems to have worked. So good for you guys. Very lockdown. Sorry? We just came out of a three-day lockdown. We had oh. one case and the whole city just said, right, you're staying home. Anyway. Well, Australia, we, come help well, us. Yeah. Uh, um, but it is interesting. I think that this, uh, the lockdown kind of gave people a long time to like think really hard kind of about the, you know, the future of the earth. We should do sustainable things and, and we need, uh, you know, we can do things online, do a- analytics online and we need cybersecurity. I, I, no, you saw that the U.S. government was like hacked. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it. I think at the beginning, as you guys were saying, the funding started to slow down because people weren't really sure what was going to happen. And then towards the end of the year, everyone started, you know, uh, investing again and kind of had a better handle on the situation. Um, so that's good to hear that everyone's done all right through COVID because I get nervous yeah. when hearing about those things. Um, let me see. What else did I have to ask? Um, so I did read that 45% of venture funding in Australia goes to fintechs and coming from a fintech, um, that makes me kind of proud. I'm like, yay, go fintechs. But I just wanted to know kind of, um, if there's favorites in Australia, if there's like trendy industries, um, if you think those are like well-deserved or, cause I also saw that software and biotech are people, people's preferred investments. Um, do you find yourself, uh, fighting against those guys or are your industries doing all right? That makes sense. Um, I'll, I'll jump in. I think uh, definitely I agree with the fintech um, because our east coast is where all of our all our banking um, okay. is concentrated in, in Sydney, Melbourne, um, and they're, they're Australia's largest cities. Um, and we do have a massive concentration of fintechs in Australia. Um, and the west coast, Perth, is generally where the mining and resources is um, is clustered. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not surprised that there's so much investment in in fintech. Although I was surprised at, at the statistic, um, yeah. because we do have such a diversity of, of startups here, mm-hmm. so that that is very surprising. But um, I think the the rate of fintech, um, and I, I researched it after I, after you t- told me that statistic was it's actually quadrupled in just four years. Um, so it, it is a hugely disruptive um, on, on a global scale. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, fintechs um, impacting everybody. Um, That's you know, why I saw so many Australians because I was in fintech and it was like every year there'd be like a lot more Australians, but now it makes sense. So, yeah. so I think we, we had a massive banking inquiry last year. It was the Royal Commission into Banking Misconduct. And I think out of that has, uh, it's really stimulated interest again from the regulators and the, and the governments. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, now the regulators are very open to technology um, around digital wallets um, and, and this huge interest in blockchain technology yeah. as well. Um, and we're now moving uh, beyond proof of concept to actual use cases now. And so we have a chief entrepreneur in Queensland, um, another, you know, example of, government championing um, entrepreneurship and the outgoing um, chief entrepreneur is um, uh, the CEO of Everledger, which is a blockchain. Um, And so I think that's a great example of it in practice. 
So um, what I see as uh, fintech being uh, popular is when you look at the fintechs that actually grown exponentially, they're all uh, brought in a disruptive idea to um, you know, create a new market. Uh, for example, Airvalex, um, they specialize uh, in international payments. They grow exponentially. Um, same thing now with Afterpay and then there is um, installment payments for shopping. So I saw, um, I think they have grown tremendously during COVID time. Even you can buy groceries in installments now. So um, not just because of their fintech. And I worked one of the big four before yeah. <laughs> being a founder. And um, the bank that I worked for did the uh, blockchain first uh, government agri- uh, contract with Queensland government. So I remember what you're saying. Um, yeah, it is actually... Um, uh, initially, like well, I've been living in Australia for 20 years, there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of op- uh, like options for customers. There is big four and then there is tier two banks. So okay. that's why people see the gap in the market and they created that. And initially, um, here in Australia, people are conservative and trust is a very big um, part in you know being a customer yeah. to a new company. So they slowly build the trust. It didn't happen overnight, um, but Sydney is a fintech hub and they have a lot of fintechs there. Um, And also now it's actually starting to cascade other cities like Melbourne, Brisbane, everywhere else. Um, Blockchain was not as um, popular as others. Um, Definitely, it's because of the disruptive nature of the technology they brought in and people saw the value in it. And uh, to a degree, they were starting to get a little bit um, dissatisfied with the service they received mm-hmm. from their banking institution. So that's why it's been successful. And the VCs actually recognize that as well to say, yeah, this is the market we should invest in. And they um, actually done that. So that's probably why. But now I see a lot more investment in uh, sustainability, cybersecurity, and also, you know, bringing more skills into Australia, like um, Joanne said, like in, uh, there's a lot more grants available to bring manufacturing back from China and other countries. So there's a lot more investment there. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think with the fintech, uh, fintech it's spinning out into um, the, the reg tech, the, the compliance and the risk mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. and the government now heavily investing in building an industry base here for that as well. I concur with all of those comments. Wherever I go, um, fintech dominates. But having said that, our solution is very disruptive. So in whatever accelerators I've participated, whatever programs, there's always a dominance of fintech, and I'm invariably the only person that's actually manufacturing a physical product. Even just recently, I was very humbled to win the Cartier Women's Initiative and I was one of 20 that went through the Cartier program over 12 months. And out of the 20, I was the only one that was manufacturing. So we had to create a different model for me to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but having said that, there is a big focus in Australia, increasingly with the Australian and New Zealand New Plastics Pack and all the initiatives around removing plastics from supply chains, mm-hmm. you know, looking at their devastating impact on the oceans. Mm-hmm. And anything with sustainability and the circular economy is of great um, interest to investors. Yeah. I think just any industry, as long as you can be disruptive and like forward moving, it'll yeah. 
you'll get the investments eventually. Um, does sound like fintech started a while ago and then is really gaining steam right now. So that's good to hear. Um, so kind of just to wrap this up, I would love for you guys to just tell me where your company is headed, um, what challenges you see coming and like what you're going to do to get over those. Um, and yeah, just brag about yourselves a little bit. And I know you don't want to brag about you want to, you want to start Nairi? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I think the future is really bright for, for, uh, the industry that I'm in, which is, uh, procurement and bidding because, uh, you know, it's evolving now so fast after 25 years of total stagnation, um, or stagnation and the bar, you know, the bar is low because there has been no innovation in procurement. No one knows, no one can see who's won the contract how that decision was made, mm-hmm. how much, the, you know, apart from what you see published in the newspaper, you don't know how many variations they've had. They they come in and bid for 10, 10 million and next thing they know it's a 60 million, $100 million project. So there's, mm-hmm. it's been a very dirty industry and it's got to be cleaned up. And I think the great thing about, um, you know, pandemics, uh, you know, I, I, I saw a great term, you know, is it a snake or is it a ladder, you know, for us, it's a ladder. You can look in hindsight and take so many lessons learned of what went wrong. Right. Um, and, you know, and we're only competing with clunky legacy systems now, but what we're now seeing with COVID is, you know, global supply chains need to change. Um, transparency needs to change and we need to open up uh, the industry or the economy to small and medium enterprises and minority businesses to compete, um, to, to get our economies back on their feet. Um, Mm. and they have no solutions behind them. So I I think, you know, supply shortages have been part of the reason for the momentum in, in the industry. And there's a movement to open contract data. And that excites me because, you know, like the banking industry, we'll, we'll be starting to see a flow of information right across the economy, um, to, to increase, uh, transparency and competition. So I think we'll see a new ecosystem emerge um, insofar as procurement and how it joins up. That's great. I'm glad that the uh, there's a silver lining in COVID for you. Um, some people are looking hard for theirs, so that's great. Um, Nora, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree with uh, what Nairi said. Uh, we have a lot more use cases to uh, brag about now. We had to make it, the need has increased, like I said uh, before. We started working with our first enterprise customer in Melbourne uh, through COVID and through Christmas break. So um, so that's how the need has been amplified. Uh, we are looking to um, talk to start a lot more uh, proof of concept with enterprises in Melbourne and Sydney. So it's always an up- upwards for, for us this year. That's great. And for for me as well, it's very optimistic future. Um, We've got our immediate move into Tasmania, our move into Southeast Asia by the end of this year. Just two days ago, we won the World Packaging Awards for our innovation. Congratulations. Very exciting. That gives us a platform to expand globally. And um, I think with all the R&D that we're doing, and the momentum that's building around plastics and COVID, which has been a trigger for people to really reset and, and rethink the way they're doing and looking at their supply chain and right across the board, um, I see that the future is very bright and I'm very excited. Thank you for tuning into this episode of New Chip Accelerate. If you are interested in learning more about how New Chip enables startup founders to build their business, meet other CEOs, and raise their rounds, all while retaining 100% ownership of their companies, 
check us out at newchip.com. If you liked what you heard, you can catch the full video recording of this panel discussion on the New Chip YouTube channel as well. We'll see you next time with another episode of New Chip Accelerate.